Thanks for tuning in to a sermon from Redemption Hill Church. If you're in D.C., we'd love for you to come and join us and become a part of the church family. If you're outside of D.C., we'd love for you to find a church family to get plugged into and invest your life in where you can be held accountable and they can care for you. If you'd like to support the ministries of Redemption Hill Church, you can give online at redemptionhilldc.org. Today we are starting a new series, as you've heard a couple of times already, for our church um, on the gospel race and the church. We live in divided times, and too often the church has contributed to those societal divides or even deepened them, and so we are taking the risk and leaning in um, to try to lead the way in a discussion to work out a biblical theology of ethnicity and the implications that that has for our lives over the next six weeks. Um, Jess mentioned postcards that we have available. If you're interested in where we're headed over the next six weeks, we list the topics that we're headed into and how we're going to approach this series. So you can pick one of those up in um, the entryway as you leave today. Today, we have a great privilege to hear from Pastor Doug Logan. Um, Doug is the Director of Diversity and Co-Director of Church in Hard Places with Acts 29, a church planting network that Redemption Hill is a part of. Um, he formerly served as the Senior Pastor of Epiphany Camden. It's a church that was founded under his leadership in 2012, but has recently transitioned into this broader role within Acts 29. Um, currently, Doug is completing his doctorate in strategic leadership at Lancaster Bible College and Capital Seminary, where he holds a master's in church planting, and sits on the board of trustees. Um, He's also a founding board member of an urban church planting network called Thriving that's not far away that was founded in Philadelphia. And so in 2016, he authored his first book, On the Block, Developing a Biblical Picture for Missional Engagement. Um, Doug and his wife, Angel, have been married since 1996 and have three adult sons and three grandchildren. Uh, More than that, those are kind of the credentials list for Doug. He's a great friend of mine. Um, I love this man. I am grateful that he's able to be with us this morning, grateful for you, Redemption Hill, to be able to hear from him. This man is a brilliant theologian with a pastor's heart. Um, He's a man that I've looked to for wisdom and insight and help for almost a decade now, since before Redemption Hill existed as a church. And so I'm excited for all of us to be able to sit under his preaching today as he opens Revelation 7 for us. And so Redemption Hill, would you please welcome Doug Logan. Hello, hello. All right, I gotta put my t- I'm gonna hit my timer so y'all don't boo me out of here. Well, first, I praise God for Pastor Bill, who is um, my friend. Man, I'm to talk about raising the gospel. I mean, I do that. I get a paycheck for that, um, but to come do it in D.C. with you guys, I do that for friends. Um, and so I praise God for him. I praise God for his leadership, his love, his lovely, um, crazy old wife. And um, yeah, man, so this is dear to my heart, a lot of intuitiveness for me. So I'm excited that Redemption Hill, under his leadership and the leadership of these awesome elders, um, is going to lead the way in this. This is pioneering. This is prophetic. So we step in and we step in with Um, we step in with the gospel. So we're not scared um, to have this conversation. Man, we're excited to have it. Let the chips fall as they may. We love Jesus. We love this city. Man, we're trying to give the devil a fit and be the monkey on his back. 
to the glory of Christ as we invade the city with this beautiful gospel. So I praise God for Redemption Hill, and we're just going to jump in because I got to go long today, so you don't look at me funny. We got to look at them, they're like, that's disrespectful. And um, so I praise God, and, and um, Bill's mom's crazy too. So um, I'm going to pray and jump in, amen? And my apologies for my wife. We just moved to Richmond, Virginia about a, two weeks ago. And so we sort of live out of boxes. She wasn't feeling the greatest, but she sends her love. Um, and she's sad she couldn't be here, especially with the swag dinner that the Rydells took me out to last night. Amen, somebody. And um, so, Father, be with us. You are king. You are Lord. You are God. We come from different situations, different challenges, different depressions, different anxieties. And yet, God, we come to meet you and God, we dare not come here just to have answers, questions about race, but we've come here to meet with the king who heals all, who heals all of those who call on him. And so, God, we call on you again, not just about this topic, but about the whole of who we are. We need you. Um, we've got financial problems, relational problems, job problems. We've got all types of problems, from credit problems to in-law problems, children problems. And God, we need you through and throughout all of those to be our peace, to be our guide, to rule and to soften and soften our hearts that we might see you high and lifted up. So meet us now for this um, important topic as we seek to open it up for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. 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 And so on the offset, I want to say this as we seek to walk this out um, as a practice Half the stuff I'm going to talk about, and I'm not trying to floss or none of that, but in church planting in Camden, New Jersey, since 2011, planted out of, when we started our plant, we planted out a 10th Presbyterian Church in Epiphany, Philly. 10th Presbyterian Church is a historic white PCA church, and Epiphany, Philly is a is a younger church, 2006, African-American led. And when I went into the residency, we got together and said, hey man, the city of Camden is bigger than us. So we need to lead the way as what it looks like to plant churches in unity and diversity. So 10th Presbyterian, I did a dual residency with 10th Presbyterian Church under Paul Tripp. And then I did the other half of the week under Dr. Eric Mason. And so we did that together for two years. RTS jumped in and gave me a full scholarship to support that vision, to show that it was seminary, white church, black church, working together to reach the city. We wanted to lay that as a foundation for me planting, and that's what happened. And in that time, since we've been in Camden, we've planted, give or take, seven to eight churches. Um, we most recently launched a church in a city called Gloucester City, which we call White Camden, not we, but the jokingly iconic little title. It's a hood, white Camden. It's a poor white community. Um, the N-word gets thrown around regular. And as I got there and was called the N-word a couple of times, I continued to go for five years. I had a, one of the, my sons in the ministry, one guy ordained back in 2004, came from Rwanda. And as he came from Rwanda, we sent him to plant. We just launched a church two months ago in that racist white community. And so Aryan Nation, swastika tattoo dudes attend that church and are hearing the gospel. You can give the Lord praise. I know y'all don't really do that. 
So I say that from a place of, man, it's hard work. It's gospel work, but it's what we signed up for, period. So let's jump in. Revelation chapter 7. I'm going to read for your hearing. Um, and I'm just going to be in 9 through 12. I'm going to be all over that, that whole 7, but I'm going to find my footing in 7, 9 through 12. Look what it says. And I'm reading from the CSB. I call that the Camden Street Bible. After I looked and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were clothed, um, yeah, no, they were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And they cried out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and unto the Lamb. And the angel stood around the throne and along with the elders and the four living creatures and they fell face down before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, blessings and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So I'm simply titling this gospel-centered diversity, gospel-centered diversity. See, Diversity, as, it, as, as we understand it as the church, and I want to lay a hard foundation. The church is who I'm talking about. We, our job is to evangelize and make disciples of all nations, right? Therefore, as the church, we lead the way in what it looks like to be the unified body that has figured out, according to the scriptures in which we brag about, according to the scriptures in which we digest, we now have to figure out this black, white, Asian, Latino mixture of all arguments and diversities. We have to figure that out in the church, under the, under the word of God, through elders and community groups and all that. We have to fight for that to figure that out. We have Holy Ghost in us that causes us to softens us and makes us a family that fights for that and works in that. But we don't take our P's and Q's from the world. We set the P's and Q's. The church sets the standard because we have the Holy Ghost. We have the heaven we're looking forward to. So we don't hashtag nothing that the world does. We make our own hashtag. And in making our own hashtags as we seek to lead the way in what it looks like to be a diverse global family, we let the scriptures be the guide. And we let Jesus be the king in the center of who we are. And we let nothing divide us. We fight for it. We cry for it. We argue about it. We get mad and then we get back together. We cuss each other out every now and again. And then we apologize over a good drink and a sandwich. So diversity must be fully integrated into the life of the church. With that all I said, it must be fully integrated into the life of the church. We must build a culture of common love around this idea of cross-cultural ministry where we foster a diverse group and, and, a, and disciples that have a diverse development in their discipleship so that it's common flow for us to think in a way. As Emily prayed, that was a bold prayer. I love it. I'm going to make her send it to me because I'm staying at their house. <laughs> but that should be normative for us. We're the Holy Ghost community. We're the community led by a Jewish dude. 
that jumped out all over the world, picked up by an ISIS leader in Paul who was murdering Christians left and right. We're a crazy mixed up motley crew. We set the P's and Q's. Simply put, there will be no neighborhoods in heaven. No place or no power to separate into people groups and preference groups. There will be no neighborhoods in heaven. There will only be one family, one place, standing room only in the theater of God's divine grace. So therefore, we are, as the church, are to be a reflection of what heaven looks like. And there is no separation spots and places for us to go to. So we're going to act like we know right now that we are one family, and we're a messy family. Every one of y'all got a crazy cousin. Every one of y'all got a crazy get-rich-quick uncle. And we have that in the body of Christ. So I need to walk out some theology, and I'm going to get us there. So stay with me. And I'm laying this foundation as the foundational reality to let me speak out of Revelation 7. I need to start my timer. Let's walk out. This is what I would call my foundational understanding as we seek to understand what diversity is. This is what I'm trying to do here, Redemption Hill, is I'm trying to move this away, which it often can become a black and white conversation. There's a, lot of, there's a lot more at stake when it comes to comprehensive diversity in the world. It's not black and white. It gets black and white because we're American. But I want to stretch this out. And black and white falls under that, guys. And we deal with each, any type of, of division and racism under the guise of the gospel. We don't have specific garages we pull in for different issues. We're going to deal with this with the gospel because the gospel punches all racism in the face. Period. So let's just understand it from the gospel, and we don't have to have each different week, racism against blacks, racism against Asians, racism against whites. No. It's sin against the holy God. That's our argument when there's any oppression or racism. Amen? Stay with me. So let's, let me jump. So let's start from the beginning in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 3, Verse 13 through 17, I call this the mess. All of mankind have fallen. So the Lord God asked the woman, what is this you have done? Of course, they've, of course Adam and Eve are, are sitting and they're dining with the devil and they eat of this forbidden fruit. And we understand that to be the cataclysmic fall of all mankind because as Adam sinned and ate, all of his posterity would have this sin gene and then each person would have this fallen reality, this fallen genetic. And so this is what it says in 13. So the Lord God asked the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and any wild animal. This is him talking to the devil. You will move on your belly and eat dust all of your days. This is the carnivore. This is the meat eater statement. Verse 15, I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Simply put, there's going to be a divine one that's going to come that's going to stomp on the head and crack the head of the serpent. Blood's going to be everywhere. Verse 16, he said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. You're going to need an epidural. You will bear children with painful effort. 
Your desires will be for your husband, you will, he, yet he will rule over you. And he said to the man, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You're guilty, Adam. You're wrong, Adam. Now everyone's fallen because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. So here we have the fall. Here we have the fall. But we also have within that fall and that judgment, we have the hope of Mashiach. He's going to put in and he's going to send one to crush the head. In theology, we call this the proto-euangelion, the first gospel message and the promise of Messiah, which we believe from this passage was the, was the, 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 the onset, the jump off of Jesus. So we see the fall. So when, when at this fall, there was separation from God and separation from men. So the vertical and the horizontal has been broken down. Prior to this, God and man were together, unified because man hadn't sinned. Now there's separation from God and man. Let's get that. Now let's jump. He talks to this cat named Abraham from Earl the Chaldees. He would have been from like New York. That's what it would have been. It would have been a bustling metropolis of pagan drugs, prostitution, and multiple, a pantheon of gods. Abraham, let me go Genesis 15, 4 and 5. So the first one was the mess. The second one is the man. Now the word of the Lord came to him. This one, um, the word of the Lord came to him. This one will not be your heir. He's talking about Eleazar, the servant he had taken in. Instead, the one that comes from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look at the sky and count the stars. If you are able to count them, then he said to him, your offspring will be that numerous. What I want you to catch. So now he's promised to Abraham, I'm going to take you from a place from your father's house, send you into the world, and from you there's going to be offspring, offspring meaning that there's going to be a whole new people that are going to be birthed out of that, and this is the question he's answering from the fall. So now man has fallen, everything's broken, and God has a plan in place to bring about Messiah. He, he makes a covenant with Abraham, so Abraham is going to bring about this promised child, this Mashiach, this savior, this wrath bearer, and he tells him to go to a place I'll show you, and I'm going to make your people so numerous like the stars. That's what he tells Abraham. These are the steps that Christ had taken. So we go from the mess to the man Abraham. Now let's go to the mission of Messiah. Stay with me. I have the great promise here, Matthew 16. Look what it says. I'll start, yeah, 16, 17, and 19. Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. You didn't download this, but my Father in heaven, and I also, but my Father in heaven gave it to you. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. And so now I want you to see this journey. So we have the mess in Adam. The cataclysmic fall, separation from God and man, separation from man and man. We have Abraham covenant. He's going to make a new offspring, and this Messiah is going to come out of those new, that new people. And then we get to the Messiah now, and Matthew is saying, and now Jesus tells him, hey, yo, remember that mess in, in, in Genesis? Well, I'm the guy that's going to fix this. God has sent me to do it, to fix the separation from God and man. And man in man. 
Stay with me. That's the great promise. So the church is going to be a Jesus-centered church. The Great Commission, Matthew 28. And then it says, Jesus came near to him and said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Somebody say all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe everything I commanded you. Remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So when you get baptized and dunked in, I'm Presbyterian, so we sprinkle. So when you get dunked into this pool with all that expensive water from D.C., and then you come back up, notice he says baptized into the name of. That's equivalent to our adoption, right? So when you adopt a child, they take your last name, you get adopted into the name of. So if you're in Christ and the blood of Jesus runs through you, your last name is the same as mine, and it's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we're one family, whether we like it or not, just like adoption. If you're black and you adopt an Asian, that child is your child. And that child has legal records to prove over and above a birth certificate that might be altered. So that adopted child has almost more right than the natural child in America. I want you to get that. So this great commission now is to all nations. All nations fell in Genesis. Abraham is sent to all nations because his seed is going to be numerous. All nations. The church is going to be built that's going to reach all nations on the back of Jesus, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And now the mission to send them to go fix what happened in Genesis is this all nations mission. Notice I haven't mentioned any race yet because Jesus hasn't. He simply said, all nations, amen, somebody. And so now we have a mission. We have a great witness in Acts 1-8. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. You're going to be my martyrs, that word witness you. You're going to die on the hill of this because this is where it meets. This is where you show me off. This is Jesus saying it to them. And then we have the great, that's the great witness. And then the great vehicle, Ephesians 3.10 Look what it says. I'll start at verse 8. This grace was given to me. Is that coming up? Oh, y'all killing it. The grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ and to shed light for all about the administration and the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things. Um, that is so that God's multifaceted wisdom, somebody say multifaceted, may be known through the church to the rulers and authorities in heavens that according to the purpose, that according to his purpose, accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the mission was accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. The church was built on it. He rose from the grave. He sent them on that mission with that purpose in his name in the great commission. The great witnesses, they're going to die on the hill of this. The great vehicle now is the church. So God is using the church messed up as we are, as the vehicle that we live in this, which is the microcosm between promise of, ref of fixing this whole thing and fulfillment in heaven. So what's the vehicle driving us from promise to fulfillment? It's the church. So he puts all of the people that come under and baptize into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together in one crazy psycho family mixed up and messed up. Why? Let me make my argument now. It was in all nations fall. 
It was an all nations covenant that he made with Abraham to make the numerous people group and to birth a Messiah from it. It was an all nations mission to go to the world. It's an all nations vehicle in which all the people will be in. And we are an all nations church who lead the way as the all nations messed up family that shows the world what it looks like to be a diverse global family. That's the intro. So I went through all those greats. And here's my last one, the great gathering. An all nations message, an all nations Messiah, an all nations mission, and then this is an all nations gathering. That's my text, Revelation 7, and I can walk through it simple now. After look this and I looked and there was a vast multitude from every nation. Therefore, people and language, um, a multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne. So all those have led up to the one day, not long from now, where there will be an all-nations gathering of people filled with the blood of Jesus. That's where we land. All nations, ethnic group, mission, every all-nations message. Therefore, I think the church has not equipped us for an all-nations mission because, in, in particularly in America, we've been a primarily dominant culture, white country. So our seminaries are shaped in that way. Most of our resources are shaped in that way. And that's why this conversation seems like a sidebar. But it's not a sidebar. This is the mission straight down the middle. This is who we are. We are an all-nations church with an all-nations mission, with an all-nations Messiah going to an all-nations heaven. And so our theology, our hearts, our mission has to reflect that at all places and points. Or we don't look like Jesus. Somebody's going to want to fight me about that. I'm staying at Emily and Chris's house. I don't fight you unless you're treating So we reduce the gospel message when we don't operate as an all-nations church with an all-nations message and an all-nations mission. Our methods, our Bible college, our pastors, our denominations, our books, our resource must have an all-nations eternal swag to them. This is normative, not a sidebar. This is not a guru idea. It must be interwoven to every facet of ministry. And then we must work it out by faith in Christ as this is his plan for the ages in Christ. Tony Evans, Dr. Evans in Dallas, Texas says this in his book, Oneness Embraced. Authentic oneness comes as an outgrowth of shared lives, not simply through a cross-culture experience here and there. Authentic oneness comes as an outgrowth of shared lives, not simply through a cross-cultural experience here or there. In other words, we should not need classes and training on multi-ethnic ministry in the church. That would assume that the gospel ministry is for dominant culture primarily, and ministry to ethnic minorities is a special ministry. That is not true. 
It's an all-nations message. It's an all-nations mission. It's an all-nations church. And it ends up in an all-nations oneness in Christ and our eternal home in heaven and our ministry, our lives, our conversations, our schools, our seminaries, our books, our, our everything, our cookouts should look like all nations at all places and points, period. That should be normative. That should be normative. We have drifted from the normative, and we have to find our way back. Not for you. You're old like me, and you're going to be in heaven probably in less than 50 years. But I got some grandkids that I want this to be normative to them. I got some great-grandkids that I might not meet, and I need them to look at the Bible, and I need them to see that it was always in all nations, and that racism is ridiculous. It's ridiculous when it comes to the church. It's normative for the world. But when it comes to the church, we shouldn't be arguing Fox News and MSNBC. Our primary party is a theocracy under the great King Jesus, his grand imperial majesty. We submit to him and we let nothing divide us. No identity trumps the Holy Ghost transforming salvation of Jesus. So our fights are ridiculous. You, I'm married 25 years. I've had arguments over ice cubes <laughs> with my wife. It's ridiculous. And that's what I want. See how you laughed about that? I want my grandkids, when somebody says, well, black people this, or Asian people this in the church, I want them to laugh like you just laughed. Like, what are you talking about? It's an all-nations gospel. I got psycho granddaughters. I make a black joke, she gets offended. I'm like, I'm black. <laughs> she don't even like it. She's already crazy. So I'm going to jump past some theology, some, some intro here, and I want to get to it. So if I were to go to Revelation 6.17, I can walk it out simply. Don't mind me. Let's get to Revelation 6.17. Let me walk down and get us where we want. Revelation 6.17, look what the Bible says. I'll start at 16. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of the one seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, because the great day of their wrath has come. And who shall, who is able to stand? So remember, Revelation 6 is the opening of the seal, stopping at the sixth seal in Revelation 6. And then Revelation chapter 8 picks up the seal where they start in 8-1 with the seventh seal. These seals are these scrolls that is opening up, being revealed to John. John is understanding um, end time history, eschatological history. He's, God has given him a vision, and I need you to see revelation in his poetic imagery. In other words, it's bigger than what John could imagine. That's why he keeps using this word like, like, like. Not like millennials who use like for every word. Not like that. <laughs> But he's using light as a simile, as he's not getting full understanding, but he's getting pictures, and he's trying to, he didn't have an iPhone to take a screenshot of what God was showing him, so he's trying to memorize it, catch it, so he can describe it, and it's just like I'm from the hood, there was just a shootout the other day, and I was like, it was like Django up in that piece, they were shooting, but that's not what it was, it was like, stay with me. So John is given this light picture. So eight picks up that seventh seal. So chapter seven is nestled right in between six and eight. And chapter seven serves as a 
pause, a parenthesis, a relief amidst God's great judgment. So great judgment is going on here in 6 and 7. Some theologians call this the great tribulation. So as we look at 17, in the midst of all that judgment and death and dying, the question is, in the terrible wrath that the world is befalling, who shall be able to stand? But I want you to see in the midst of this great biblical idea is that even in the midst of judgment and suffering, God is merciful. In the midst of God's horrific judgment is the presence of his extravagant grace. That's what I want you to see jumping out of seven. So what do we see here in seven, one through eight? First, I want you to see, after I saw the four angels standing in the four corners of the earth, restraining the four winds in the earth so that no one could blow down the earth or on or on the sea, or on any tree. So we got one angel. He's holding back the wind from the four corners. Four corners is idiomatic for the complete storm that is happening. This apocalyptic picture. I want you to see post-Walking Dead picture. End of the world motif. The four corners, north, south, east, and west. This is what you see the angel holding it back, I want you to see God's sovereign global authority and his all-encompassing powerful activity to protect his people even in the midst of judgment. The second angel says, um, and then I saw another angel. So this one seals the saints. They are to do so until they so the, the first angel's holding back the storm so that the second angel can seal them with the seal of God. So the first angel stops the storm, the second angel seals, seals the saints. The second angel screams about a sealed group of folk, 144,000. You've heard that in Jehovah Witness theology. It's not 144,000 the way they say it. It's simply as it says, from every tribe. And again, we're talking poetic language, imagery language. So this 12 tribes would represent all people groups represented in the earth. This is just a complete number, 12 of 12, 144,000, all tribes represented, and we are the new Israel. We are the elect, the people that God has saved. We're one people group united under the blood of Christ. That's six leading up to seven. Now to my text, after this 144,000 are stamped and sealed, the storm is held, John the Revelator says this, Here's the heart of my text. I looked out, man, and I saw another number. I couldn't even count them, Doug Logan translation. It was so many folk, it was berserk. I couldn't even imagine to guess a count. If it was Doug Logan, I would have said a gazillion, trillion, million. I would have had to make up some hyperbole to understand it. It was, in new, in, it was a number that couldn't even be guessed. And when I get to Revelation 9, there's 2 million he's talking about. So this is bigger than that number because they counted 2 million. And they were standing. Look what the text says. After I looked, and there was a vast multitude of every nation, tribe, and people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne. Now, remember I told you, Revelation 6:17 says, in this great judgment, in this great wrath, who shall be able to stand? I tell you, those who have 
trusted Christ with their lives and have received him as Savior and Lord and been converted, those are the ones who will be able to stand because they will be sealed by Jesus. So in all this race talk, I'm going to stay there, but I want you, if you're here today and you're in Christ, if, we, if you get this wrong and you're in Christ, you are sealed by him. I don't want this to be a performance idea that we have to get this race right, which we do as a church and we will. But I want you to get the simple power of Jesus to heal and save every race and people group. He can save Nazis, Bloods, and Crips. And he can make Nazis pastors to shepherd Jews. He can make Bloods be the baptizer of Crips who killed their mama. That's what I want you to see here. I want you to see the overwhelming, amazing grace of God's ability to save every race, no matter how messy and trifling we are. He's he's able. I want you to see that overwhelmingly, even over my race convo. Because they were standing. Standing! Who shall be able to stand in his great wrath? Those who are sealed by Jesus, you and me, those in Christ can stand on this great, terrible day. So how much easier is for us to stand in this day on the precepts and principles of the scriptures when we denounce racism and oppression? If we can stand that day, we can surely stand this day. If we can stand that day before the great throne, surely we can stand this day in this city. before the lamb standing, standing clothed in white robes. These are long robes, not priestly robes. So I want you to think, me and Bill, listen, we were just in Germany, and you know Bill and them are swagged out, so they had the robes and probably had the room service, you know what I'm saying? You know, when you go to a fancy hotel, you have the long robes, like a smoking jacket. So I want, and they were white too, in the rooms. They weren't black, I'm just saying. And uh, <laughs> so I want you to see these white robes as these long hotel robes. So when you're comfortable in your room, this is the idea. We're comfortable in Christ saving work. We throw on these beautiful white robes. These palm branches, I want you to see palm branches would be equivalent to a victory party. You know what they would be equivalent to? They'd be equivalent to balloons at like a birthday party or like a celebration, the releasing of balloons and confetti when you see those palm branches. This is a victory chant. This picture should encourage us. What's happened at Adam in the fall, Abraham called Jesus Church, all nations mission, all nations vehicle is happening right now. In this passage, Revelation 7, so what fell in the garden is now being fixed and realized by Christ in this great gathering. So this promise is actualized in Messiah, the vicarious, his vicarious death on the cross, his virgin birth, his victorious resurrection, the second coming of Jesus, this great day, this yom, he is our kippur, he is our atonement of the Lord. This is a picture. This is it, the cure for all diseases, the renewal of all things in Christ. This is Revelation 7, 9, 
and, and 10 and 11 and 12, death is murdered, violence annihilated, division destroyed, racism removed. Why? Because we are all gathered now around the lamb and around the throne. Why? Because that's the diversity and the unity we're looking for. I don't want to get ahead of myself. This is it. This is the real thing. It's happening. Salvation of sinners. God's plan realized. Unstoppable salvation. Victorious salvation of God in Christ. This is the great news of the power of the gospel. Tony Evans says this, the solution of the issue we face today are found only by applying a biblical divine standard as answers to the questions before us. The church should be a model as such a time as this to reveal to the world what true oneness, equality, and freedom can produce. This is our picture. This is the realized picture. Tony Evans is saying we got to reflect that now. We have to lead the way. The world doesn't have a model of that. We are the model. God created us in him that we would be gathered around him, not our preferences and our particulars, but around his power and around his person. And so we all die to our particular preferences and processes, and we take on the identity of him as one messed up, crazy, diverse family. This is realized in Revelation 7. We are gathered. The fall, the curse has been reversed. Christ has died. We are together. It is realized. But what's the model for it on the earth? It's me and you. It's Redemption Hill. It's Epiphany Camden. It's me and you in all of our disagreements and upbringings and histories and damage. We still have to work this out. You are commanded to love me if I'm in Christ. Commanded. When you don't love me, you sin. I should be able to go into your refrigerator without asking. <laughs> we are the model. We are the model. So the first idea was the picture of heavenly unity, of gospel diversity. The second picture is the idea of, is this picture of the praise of this diverse family. So we saw the picture, they were standing, white robes, a number that couldn't be numbered, and then they break out into song. And what do they sing? Verse 10, and they cried out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who was seated on the throne and to the Lamb. This word salvation, I know it means the saving power of God, but also in this context, I want you to see it also as victory. So what these great number are screaming is this. All this slaughter and mess that we've gone through, Christ is our victory. Salvation belongs to our God. Victory belongs to our God. So if victory belongs to our God and we belong to our God, then we are victorious in him together. He's seated on the throne in the place of authority and to the Lamb. Second song. And the angel stood around the throne and, the, and, the, and along the elders and the four living creatures and they sang a second song. They break out into praise again. And so listen, I want you to see them go into two songs. We did a couple songs this morning. But they're in heaven. They break into song. And the next thing you know, Look at verse 11. And the angels, now, the, now there's the, the innumerable all nations, all nations, tongues, and languages folk that we couldn't number. They break out into song because they are like rocking like we here. Sin is over. It's like the end of the matrix when they said Zion is saved. 
I'm leaving. Y'all don't even watch The Matrix. <laughs> it's over. It's victory. We're here. The salvation belongs to our God. Notice that didn't say, hey, we're all diverse. Salvation belongs to our God is what they said. Why? Because the gathering in heaven is around our God, not around diversity. That's normative. And so after they're breaking in the song, white people are clapping on beat for the first time. <laughs> they rocking out. Then the angels look on and say, yo, it is for real. And then the, the elders, the 24 elders say, yo, they rocking. It is a party. And then the four living creatures say, yo, this is for real. And it says in verse 11, and they fell face down before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, blessings and glory. So they're acknowledging the, 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 the innumerable number of all nations, kindreds, and tongues worshiping and celebrating what? That salvation belongs to our God. And they say it does. That's why they start the song with amen. Blessings and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. So that's the picture. The picture is a straight up worship service. It's a straight up realization of unity under Christ. They go in hard. What do I want you to see? As I finish up, this 7 through 12 is an evangelistic in nature. It's about the saving of souls. It's about us living out the gospel, the great commission, multi. It's, a, it's an all-nations commission with an all-nations message, bringing an all-nations into the vehicle, the church, that we would have this all-nations gathering in heaven. It's evangelistic in nature. It started at sin and the gospel answers the question of sin. God's desires for our churches to be a foretaste of this. This victory song, this great gathering, and this song is not on the backdrop of us finally being together and not fighting. It's on the backdrop of the cross. When we place diversity at the center, then we remove it from Jesus' death, his vicious, violent death, Can I say this? This room is diverse right now. We ain't fighting. Heaven accomplished, no. Jesus died a filthy, nasty death for sin to create unity. And this is all temporary unity. On the wrong day, I'm cussing one of y'all out. On the wrong day, I got my Democratic bag on or my Republican bag, and I can be nasty. So temporary unity and diversity was not Revelation 7. Revelation 7 was salvation belongs to our God. He doesn't even mention diversity. Because it wasn't, the goal wasn't diversity. The goal was the saving of souls from an all-nations fall to an all-nations covenant, to an all-nations mission, to an all-nations message, and then an all-nations vehicle to an all-nations gathering in Revelation 7. 
So when you read Revelation, it should read like the rest of the book. That's what I'm trying to show you. This is a reality of Genesis, period. It's normative. This is the culmination of what was promised. The first man of God fell, and this man has come not just for unity, to, get a, to, to take out the non-unity, the division, the hate, the monocultural, the separation, and the division from all people. No, sin did break up the unity and the beauty of God's creation. Sin did create in us a division and anti-diversity in all peoples in the earth. And yes, I long for unity that will come in the new kingdom at the end of all things. However, this is not the emphasis. Sin brought death, hate, murder, rape. Sin brought wars, racism, and slavery, elitism. Sin brought terrorism, nationalism, sickness, death, disease, and destruction. The real issue is not just a vision from one another man, that's anti-diversity, anti-unity, but it brought about the death and division from God, the anti-life. So sin separated us horizontally, but vertically is separated from God. If we zoom in on the unity that we have in diversity and not the unity that Christ brings, because without salvation in God, we don't gather around in this beautiful Revelation 7. Because diversity is not the goal. We're not diversity-centered. We're gospel-centered. We're not diversity-centered. We're Christ-centered. Can I tell you a place that's going to be diverse? Hell. Hell is going to have a unique diversity. There's going to be every nation, kindred, and tongue gathered around hating our God and living eternally and utter the great theologian Bavink, the Dutch reformer, says we go from total depravity to utter depravity. So there's going to be utter depravity for millions and zillions of people who refuse to trust and believe in our God. Hell will be a diverse place. But we don't want diversity. We want the unique diversity that's centered around the throne in Revelation 7. Why? Because that's the, that's the unity I can roll with. That's the unity that doesn't get broken. That's the unity that stays. This is the picture. Remember, heaven is not going to be a fair reunion where division and hatred have just ceased and we're singing kubaya and roasting marshmallows and saying, did you see all those Korean people? They were so nice. That's not what's going to happen. I don't know about you, but I'm not looking for no different race. My wife is white. My kids are, my grandkids are Puerto Rican. My kids are African. They mixed. I got all that now. When I get to heaven, I'm elbowing Asians, African-Americans, Africans. I'm elbowing and kicking people. I am getting to Jesus. I ain't going to heaven for no diversity. I got that this morning. I had that at Starbucks yesterday. I got that in my house in Richmond. I don't have Jesus there, though. So when I get to heaven, I am punching people. Get out of my way. I am getting to Jesus because this picture is a heaven where Jesus is at the throne. This picture is where... In the words of Tupac, all eyes on this, all eyes are on Jesus, not on diversity. Diversity is a byproduct of Jesus putting us together. If we don't pay attention, we'll chase diversity and not Jesus. And once we do that, we'll keep our preference in places and we won't be the model family to lead the way in D.C. in this racially, politically, ethnically divided city. And Redemption Hill will just be a cool place where you guys are like a niche little group because y'all figured out how to sing universal songs so nobody fight. That's whack. I don't want that. 
If that's it, I'm good. The world can accomplish that. Buddhist temples have that. But I want the uniqueness that Christ brings. I want the uniqueness that, that Christ brings. That's why we preach this kingdom. That's why we sing this kingdom. We're not diversity-centered. We're gospel-centered. I'm going to close with this. We will have a new government in heaven. And Isaiah said the government will be upon his shoulders, this Mashiach, this Messiah. Because it says seated on the throne, so it answers Isaiah. It answers this new divine monarchy where the place and power and authority is in the king, driven and guided by perfect love. That's the government I'm pursuing. The government of the Messiah, where it's perfect love and unity, driven by our king and our Lord. Perfect fatherhood, perfect love. He reigns and rules by love, a divine monarchy. This divine monarchy looks like, let me say this so you get it. There's only one politic in heaven. Jesus reigns by love. No vote in heaven. The votes have already been cast. We cast our crowns upon the victorious king. The votes are cast. There won't be any ballot tri trickery. There won't need to be voting laws. The votes is cast. He is king. He runs this place, and we are his servants. And there is a vote. It's less of a vote, but there is an election, and that's the election of God in his sovereign, unconditional love to save nasty folk like us. He has elected us by his lavish love. That's the only election that's going to happen. The empty tomb was the count that Jesus was king, right? So when we count the ballots of who's king, we go to the empty tomb. It was one vote. He ri he's risen. Jesus wins as the king of heaven, the ruler, authority, divine, holy, loving monarchy. We're one new nation under God. The kingdom of heaven is a diverse, reconciled, peaceful, unified, worshiping body all around Jesus the Lamb, not around diversity. This unity, no king in earth could do it. I want to give you, now I want to show you the uniqueness and the power of the gospel in Jesus. When we look at all the division in this world, we trying to figure out, we got arguments, we got studies, we got fact-checking. We're reading, we're trying to figure it out. There will be no unity to dialogue on TV. The unity of Revelation 7, no king on earth could accomplish it. No preacher, no matter how good they preach, could get us there. No liberal or conservative can create the unity in heaven. Republicans and Democrats, they can't do it. Evil rulers and peaceful rulers, they can't accomplish it. It's only accomplished by the vicarious death of Jesus who had no sin, who died in our place. So he died in the place of us, the violent, racist, mean folk that we were. And he, and he rose again with all power and freely gave us grace. This is the gospel. This is the picture. We did not accomplish it. He saved us, not by our works or our righteousness, but by his grace and his righteousness. And this is how he operates across the board. He will make us one new body in heaven by that same power and grace. Only Christ can accomplish the unity of all nations and people and make us one crazy, beautiful family.
So what does that mean? That means Redemption Hill, we write the new narrative. We can ball up the rough draft right now. We can repent of our preferences and our ideology that's bent away from Scripture, where we're trying to make the Scripture conform to our political party. Let's trash that. Let's just say forget it. We're going to start fresh. Let's get a, dry, a white board with some new markers. Let's make this gospel mission and gospel message and gospel man and gospel Messiah the new narrative that we write in D.C. Let's make our great-grandchildren laugh when there's racism in the church and consider it ridiculous. Let's challenge our racist family members who we've sort of accepted and don't say nothing about, about this and tell them that the Bible says otherwise, even if they ain't Christians. Let's make this the model. And can I tell you, white people, you're going to get cussed out in the process. It's okay. You'll be fine. And let me tell you, black people, you're going to be called bad names about being a Marxist and race baiter. That's okay. We don't care about that. Jesus died on a cross. And he was resurrected. They called him everything from witch doctor to devil. You and I lead the way. We take the hits. Why? Because it's not for our preference, it's not for our process, it's not for our comfort. It's that we would impact the world with the gospel, that our, the next generation will find this multifaceted, multicolor, multidimensional, all nations church normative. Normative. Father, this is a big prayer and a big dream, but it's a regular prayer and a regular dream according to your scriptures. Calls us to repent of sidebarring into our Western thought and moving away from an all-nations message. Um, we need you. We can't do it without you. It's impossible. We trust that you are able to fix us and to guide us and to strengthen us. So we hope, God, that, um, man, we'll have some gospel conversations that people in this church that don't even be together regular will get together regular to figure this out. Because this is where the rubber reads the road. How we glorify Jesus and unify as a family. It's just regular gospel work. And may it be said of us that we didn't die on the hill of cool web pages and awesome logos, but we died on the hill of glorifying our God and loving our neighbor as ourselves. Let, us, let that be our testimony. Let our testimony not be we were diplomatic and we didn't argue with anybody, but let it be we were willing to die on the hill of Jesus being glorified and our neighbor, no matter how much they hate us, we love them back with your love. Bless us, guide us for the rest of our gathering in Jesus' name. Amen.